Hello and welcome back to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation Podcast with Brant Pasalakwa, founder of the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation School. In this podcast, we answer our students' questions and share information about yoga therapy and meditation with the intention of creating a new paradigm in wellness. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's dive into the show. Today's episode is a recording taken directly from a live Q&A session with Breathing Deeply founder Brant Pasalakwa and students of our Yoga Therapy Foundations program. Our first question is, how can yoga therapy help someone who just had a hip replacement? You really have to know is uh, your contraindications, but there's, there's two kinds. So with a posterior hip replacement, you can't adduct the leg like she can't cross her leg for three months okay. and you really want to limit that for another three months after that so if you did something like you know like cow face where you put one knee on top of each, each other or eagle pose um and then you also can't really in, internally rotate for three months and then you're limited after that and then you don't flex plus 90 degrees for six months uh with the newer style um, you're thinking about for the first six months, you have like limited abduction up to the side, limited external rotation for six months and limited extension, like a massive lunge. Um, so it's limited, not none. So what usually happens is these are the ways you can pop it out. You have to know how to not do that. Cause the, the one, the one way you can really, cause you could do a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but the one thing you have to really think about when the when it's newer is that you don't want to put pressure in the way that could dislocate it. Hip replacements are kind of great now, um, but it would be easy in yoga if you're just sort of like on a, autopilot, having people put pressure on that hip in the wrong way could be a huge problem. And then right. the to-do part is it's usually, they usually rehab the hip pretty well, but then you have all the compensation that had gone on before the hip replacement. So people don't get hip replacements who aren't kind of like limping around and stuff, right? Because right. you wouldn't get it. So usually people have been leaning to one side. So you'll see when mm -hmm. you look at them structurally, they'll have weaknesses and, and issues sort of around their body, you know, from, from doing that for so long. A lot of times like abs or a lot of times people got less active. So you have weak core muscles, your weak lower back muscles, your weak glutes, and all these things, you know, are not great. So we do a lot of that. So a lot of times I, I work with people, actually I have a friend now who's getting a double knee replacement, same kind of thing. And she's like, what should I do? And I told her I could prehab her. I said, six months after your knee replacement, it's a little different with knees because they take longer. Right. I'm going to rehab you longer. So six months after that knee replacement, come talk to me and I will help you because it could get even better for you. You know, they'll do the knee part, but then right. she's been like limping around for two years. Can you have an imbalance in more than one kosher at the same time? Um, it, it can be in multiple koshas at the same time. You're talking about a person, right? So that's just one way to chop up a human. You know, these five koshas, you can do it a million different ways. So what you're concerned with is where are you going to work? Like, which kosher are you going to address? It's going to help you pick practices. I mean, that's why we have this model. So often you're like, oh, this sounds like a monomaya kosher issue. Like, so often it'll be one. But 
that's not the only possibility. What is the benefit of using a framework like the koshas in yoga therapy? Like whenever you have like a framework or a system versus um, like random ideas as a practitioner, <laughs> I guess, you know, if I want to compare it, you know, that's definitely trust building because people feel held in it. So like if you go to a therapist and you're like, I'm having a lot of trouble since my mother died, I can't, you know, actualize things I want. And the therapist just kind of randomly starts giving you advice. Um, it's a little different than the therapist saying, this is a common problem. If you look at this model, the Cohen model, you might find that, you know what I mean? Like if you, if, if everything that's being said is held in something larger, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more safety for, for the client in that way, for sure. Um, and that's definitely how I work. Like I'm, I'm not giving people, it's very clear to people that the things I'm saying are not from me that makes sense that I'm mm -hmm. applying some sort of principle the other event what we're talking about you know the advantage to that particular model is that you you can get a lot more clarity on where you should start you have a lot of options and so with the koshik model once you pick your kosha to address some there's certain practices that would work in there you're you know you're working in this like pretty actually kind of simple system it was a long time and I've done practicums for a while and you know, I think the hardest thing for students to do is to start simply and clearly with with clients. There's so much to think about. Um, people tend to like over assign practices and things because they're like, I know these 27 things that might help you. And so we use these models to try to clarify our own minds and be like, okay, here's the here's the best way to start. An example of which would be like, this is a monomaya kosha issue conscious mind so we're going to start with chanting that's what we're doing i like have a reason i'm thinking this way i have a practice for it and we're going to see if it works are the koshas in opposition to any other framework the point of that question is that model our five kosha model is not in opposition to anything there's different frameworks like i was saying before where you can chop people up in different ways you can look at elements you can look at meridians you can look at psychological models, right? You can do all sorts of things and people learn uh, to help people in different ways. So it's not an, it's not at all in opposition. Like it can't be because the five koshas encompass like an entire human's existence. And so everything's either gonna fit within it or align with it, if that makes sense. Like there's no, there's no argument between different models. They're just different models. The koshas are a model that Ayurveda uses, and we have practices attached to those koshas. And like, I trained in shiatsu for years, so we use five element theory, and there's practices that we use based on that. And you wouldn't say like, oh no, don't do shiatsu, you have to do yoga therapy. Like it doesn't, they're just different things, different ways people look at it, and different ways people try to help each other. Like a lot of times, we'll say things like, I don't like the way Western medicine works because it uses like pharma and yoga therapy is better. But that's not really true. It's just that Western medicine is limited in its scope. So it's actually getting wider all the time, which is nice, but like Western medicine's limited. It, it doesn't address all the crochets, right? Like if you go to a doctor and say, I'm depressed, they give you medicine. 
they're not saying like you really need to connect to your heart or your sense of surrender or god and then you won't be as depressed <laughs> right that's another way to look at it there's lots of ways to look at it so so the koshas like kind of work across that system and western medicine's often working in only one or two koshas right the psychological conscious mind realm and the physical realm like there's no energetics in western medicine right it's because we have a lot of assumptions right and and one of the assumption sets for instance is that acupuncture is in some way similar to yoga therapy because it's not western medicine what is the difference between acupuncture and yoga therapy? It is entirely dissimilar. It is a very specific system, a very specific system, um, you know, that involves needling and doesn't look at the client as being the main actor. So even though it's kind of alternative and a different way of looking at affecting the human body the client isn't doing the practice in that way it's super not similar right you lie down someone puts needles in you and you have no idea why unless you're like ready for a dissertation on chinese medicine you have no idea what's going on right they go do 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 they put needles in your ears and feet for your pancreas <laughs> and then you know, and then they're like, yeah, you know, come back and we'll do it again. I'm a super fan, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with they're not similar. You know, so many, so many yoga therapists are like, I'm into yoga. I'm into Reiki. I'm into acupuncture. I really like my chiropractor. Don't like my doctor, which I always find fascinating point of view. For me, really dig my yoga therapist who's me, so that's good. And then, um, you know, I like my doctor. So we don't want to, we don't want to come in with, a, um, with like preset notions. The way it's similar possibly is that it's coming out of a system that, that believes that the body's systems can fix themselves. Where did yoga therapy come from? I mean, the history as I know it is, is that uh, Krishnamacharya was born in like 1881 or something like that. He's considered, considered, you know, there's other people that did stuff, I'm sure, but the grandparent of it all. So he um, had a lot of knowledge and taught a lot of different people. And then you would go to him and he would give you different practices depending on how he thought, you know, you should be taught and based on your conditions and things. And so he sort of started this trend. So um, historically, yoga therapy is really new, super new. But like you're saying, like there's a whole science of Ayurveda before it. In this next segment, Brant has a discussion about evidence-based studies in yoga therapy versus Western medicine. So when you're doing yoga therapy, when you're actually practicing, we're using the frameworks, but there isn't wrongs and rights. So if you if you like follow the IOIT, like maybe you're on, I don't know. Or accredited by that right there and they're really into evidence-based practices of which there's hardly any like literally there's research it's just ongoing so we know from that research that it's looking good for certain things but in terms of like western standards it's 
with. There's hardly anything that like makes the bar because those studies cost five million and up. And usually they do studies that cost like, you know, 20 grand. <laughs> so there's some, which is great, and there will be more. But what we have to remember is that, you know, we're working off of systems, anecdotal evidence, stuff that's been passed down from teachers and people that have used it. Um, and so there's not always going to be a right and wrong answer. Like, how do I work with this person? You know, there's only one right answer is like, did this practice help this person? Is it working? How do I evaluate if it's working? What would be, and then we teach you framework. So you have, you know, if it's not working, especially, okay, what would be my next best, you know, option here? What's another way to look at it? It's another thing this person could try. So you're you're walking into a field, <laughs> well, where there's not tons of evidence, but I will also say that that's not really that much different than Western medicine. So you're interested in chronic pain since you're brave enough to be talking today. So you're interested in chronic pain, right? So people are giving people opioids for chronic pain all these years, where if you had talked to me eight years ago, I'd be like, opioids are insane. They're insane. I'm working with people all the time and they're in more pain on the opioids than off of them. Yet those had $10 million studies behind them. So it's a little unclear. It's like really, uh, or another good example is back surgeries don't have much evidence behind them, hardly any. Like you, you can't clearly state that any back surgery is a good idea scientifically. It's an idea. <laughs> I'm not saying that they're good or bad and it's no different than what we do. So I'm not disparaging back surgeons at all. I'm just saying, they're like, I think this will work based on all this stuff. I can't prove it because these are hard studies to do, right? Like how do you get 400 people who need the same back surgery and are experiencing the same symptoms and then don't give the surgery to half of them. I mean, they do these studies, but it's like, it's really hard. It's really hard. It's not, so, you know, in, anyway, in our mind, right, we, we believe it to be one way, but there's not a lot of answers that are just black and white. In this section, Brant discusses how chronic pain works in the brain. One of the things that happens with chronic pain is that the brain gets better at feeling pain over time. If you think of it this way, like every every time your brain gets a chance to feel pain, it's building new pain neuropathways for that type of pain. So what we know is that people in chronic pain are more sensitive to pain. So one of the things that eventually should happen is some sort of meditation practice because it'll help the brain rewire. We know that to be true. It makes the brain more malleable. Um, and there's lots of different ways to do contemplative practice, but that would be like at the top of my mind um, because you're in pain and now we don't know, right? You had the surgery, which is great. And now we have no idea. There's no real relationship to what's going on in your body and the pain exactly because pain is so individual. And since you've had it as a kid, you're probably really awesome at feeling pain. Like that's your superpower, you know, now. congratulations. So, so now what we would have to figure out is how to rewire you and it would take a while. 
but it's like, how do you rewire yourself over time? So um, the short version of that is you should definitely be a meditator in a way that works for you, whatever that is with your, you know, life and pain and brain right now. Um, because we know from studies that the brain can rewire. Um, and I've seen remarkable results. I use yoga nidras a lot because they're easier for most people. And um, I mean, I've worked with people that have been pain for 20 years. But I've seen them six months. I've seen their pain shift 50, 60, 70% over and over again. I've seen that. So most people don't do that, obviously, right? Most people don't meditate and things like this. And when you're in pain, it's not, it's not your go-to, right? You're like, my shoulder hurts. I should meditate. Like that's not, it doesn't even make sense you know, to think that way. But it turns out that if you've been in chronic pain, you have to look at it slightly differently. Because the, the mind gets stuck, like the brain, not the mind, the brain, right? Gets less malleable all the time mm -hmm. and without inputs like meditation. How do yoga therapists work with mental health? Yeah, often you'll you'll have like a doshic diagnosis that matches their mental health status, you know. So you'll do yoga practices. The most common one is vata imbalance, which is anxiety produces anxiety. So we'll give people practices like moving and breathing or pranayama to work with their nervous system and anxiety. Right? We don't talk to them about their anxiety. Like, how do you feel about, you know, tell me about your mother. Like we're not analysts, right? Yeah. We're like, here's practices. It's all we do. So yeah, we're we're completely qualified to work with mental health, but only in our scope. And there's a lot of therapists in this school because they know that there's other things <laughs> that can be done. You know, help people. Where can I go to get a deeper understanding of the doshas for yoga asana? What I would encourage you to, to sort of focus on is this. There are, when you say, like, I get the general idea, um, that general idea is the thing. So if somebody moves and breathes in sync, especially if their breath is lengthened on the exhale a little bit, you are going to achieve auto balance in their system. It's going to help with that doesn't matter what asanas you do. Okay. And the reason I did it that way was sort of like, I'm not gonna tell you what asanas do. You're all from different traditions. It's not that I don't want to, it's just that my sequences, and as you take um, seminars with me and stuff, you'll see this, like they're really boring. Like yoga therapy is boring, right? So vata balancing sequences are like, warrior one, move and breathe, warrior two, move and breathe bridge pose, move and breathe. And then you think to yourself, God, I wish I knew more. You don't need to know more for that purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like yeah. you don't, in fact, you don't want to do more because it's going to disturb the vata. So pitta yeah. is a little different, right? Pitta, you're going to want to do things like sun salutes and plank poses and like slightly more challenging things to catch up with that pitta first and then slow it down. Same, you could do it with the same asanas. It doesn't matter. And then kapha, again, same kind of thing, like a whole bunch, slightly different, like a whole bunch of big muscle groups. So standing poses, larger muscle groups, salabhasana, bridge pose on the ground, stuff like that, right? Moving and breathing and then held. 
right? At like a level that's challenging enough, but not too challenging, right? For the client. So I could literally give you the exact same six asanas. If you can do that, if you can, if you can do those six asanas, right? Three standing, two on the ground and the lying down thing or whatever, you know, in those three different ways, you have a hundred percent got it. And what's going to be hard for you is to not go outside that. But, you know, I'm going to say something that'll sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but I don't care. I just want to show you where this comes from. So there's not many yoga therapists like in the United States that have had worked a long time and have had like waiting lists to come see them. The reason have a waiting list to come see me is because I don't get funky when I'm trying to balance doshas. Like I'm like, this person needs to do basically move and breathe, which is a form of pranayama, 15 or 20 minutes, four times a week. They need to do it for six weeks and they're going to be less anxious. I've seen it a hundred thousand times and this person is probably not gonna surprise me, right? So, when I'm running our practicums and stuff, people like our think, which is how it always is when you're learning something, but uh, you know, thinking, 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 how can I do it better? How can I do more? Yeah. People don't like more. People don't wanna do more than 15 minutes a day. People, I mean, I'm not saying you can't, but you know what I mean? People like, when's the last time you moved and breathed in sync smoothly for 20 minutes? When's the last time you did that? Right, no answer. You don't even answer me, <laughs> yeah. right. It's a lot, it's a lot to do. It's like, it takes a ton of focus and, you know, there's no distraction in it and it's so powerful. So take the six poses, warrior one, warrior two, tree pose, salabhasana, bridge and chavasana. How's that? <laughs> okay. Do them yourself for the different doshas. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review our show and help us share yoga therapy with more people around the world. If you think this episode will help someone you know, feel free to share it with them. If you love yoga therapy and meditation, you can follow us over on Instagram at breathingdeeplyyoga, where we share anything and everything to help you advance your understanding of yoga therapy and meditation. For more information about our yoga therapy and meditation trainings and programs, visit breathingdeeply.com. See you in the next episode.